0: who it is we're going to study tonight we've been looking at uh, the 12 apostles the last several sunday nights peter peter andrew james and john look with me at luke 6 let's refresh our memories here in luke 6 beginning at verse 12 this is what the bible says in luke 6 verse 12 in these days he that is jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to god Major event taking place, you and I as disciples, followers, seeking to emulate Jesus and do all things, following the footsteps of Jesus to Christ. It's good to spend significant, heartfelt, sweat-filled, emotional times in prayer. And before Jesus had this huge opportunity in front of him, when he was going to choose from the group of people who had already attached themselves to him, choose from his disciples, 12 special ones who would be the ones sent to go turn the world upside down. It says that Jesus spent the night all night and continued in prayer to God. Verse 13. And when the day came, he called his disciples and then he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So he's got a group of people who, who are his disciples, his learners, his followers, his followers. He's their rabbi. He's the one they listen to. But he picks 12 that he can go send. Verse 14, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, it's not mentioned here in Luke, but in other places we know these are the sons of Zebedee, two other brothers who are fishermen, just like Peter and Andrew. It says, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who's the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So here we're going to focus tonight on James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And very, very often, James is known as this guy to us, he's John's brother. Sometimes John is referred to as James's brother. Um, But John and James, these guys are... Uh, not only fishermen, not only brothers, but they're part of that that inner circle. You look in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we see that James and John are the sons of Zebedee. And I don't want you to confuse this James with another well-known James. There's James, the brother of Jesus, who we read about in Acts 15, read about in the book of Galatians. In Galatians, Paul calls that James a pillar in the church. In fact, the, the book we have in our New Testament is called James, is written by James, the brother of Jesus. Not this James, Right? So the James who's the pillar in the church, the James who wrote James, is not the James we're talking about tonight. The James we're talking about tonight was one of the apostles, and he actually doesn't get talked about a whole lot. He's another one of those that there's a lot of things said about Peter, and a lot of things said about and by John. And so we're going to talk about that inner circle, remember we're talking about the inner circle of Jesus? Peter, James, and John. They're the three at the transfiguration of Jesus. They were the ones that were in the inner circle, furthest in with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. He chooses just those three, Peter, James, and John, come with me while I'm in distress. Come with me, watch, pray with me while I'm going through all this. And then there's this strange thing that says that whenever Jesus went into the house of of Jairus to raise his daughter from the dead, only Peter, James, and John get to be there. So there's this very, very, very special inner circle but I know you're just like me because of the way the Bible reads things. Of those three guys who are in the inner circle, get to do all these amazing things with Jesus, see untold things, Peter and John, we feel like we really know. So much more said about them. So little said about James. Almost nothing said about James. Such few words, but we can really learn a lot about him even in those few things that have been said. Here's where I want you to start. Go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. This will be the beginning point for some of just a few things that are said about James. Mark 3, when Mark is naming the 12 apostles, this is the way Mark records it. Jesus went up the mountain, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he named apostles. So they might be with him and they might send them out and he might send them out to preach and he gave them authority to cast out demons. Verse 16 says he appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James. Now listen to this. Whom he gave the name boanerges, that is sons of thunder. And then it goes on Andrew, Philip and the sons of thunder so one of the very few things said about James in all of Scripture is that Jesus gave him and his brother the nickname Sons of Thunder. That's a pretty good nickname, the Sons of Thunder. When you see these guys coming down the ah, oh, here comes the Sons of Thunder. That's, a, that's an intimidating name, it sounds to me. It sounds like you give that kind of name to someone who's strong, someone who's fierce, but also maybe someone who's volatile, might not know what they're going to do next the sons of thunder. And so right here in Mark 3, you get that great nickname. You get that Jesus has said, now Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. You're the rock upon which these." we understand that name. But there's no explanation given here. Why are James and John called the sons of thunder? Nothing at all said here in Mark 3. We've got to go to other places to try and piece the thing together. Sort of play the role of of detective and, and piecing these things together as to why it is that Jesus may have called these two men the sons of Zebedee the sons of thunder let's go to Luke chapter 9 I think it gives us some insight Luke chapter 9 so remember the question we're trying to answer right now is this why did Jesus call James and John the sons of thunder what does that tell us about James what does that tell us about the kind of guy he was right So here we go. Luke 9. Just read verse 54. Luke 9, 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw it. Now, it doesn't matter what it is. We'll talk about that in just a moment. When James and John saw this particular thing, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these people? Now, whatever it is, it's just taken place. James and John have gone to the Lord Jesus and said, let us call down fire and burn these people up that sounds like somebody who's ready to fight sounds like somebody's ready to you know run straight into the the firing line not afraid let's do this now we get need to read the fuller context go back to mark or excuse me luke 9 verse 51 luke 9 51 when the days drew near for him that is for jesus to be taken up So that means he's going to the cross to die. But even more, it's looking in advance to the time when he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. It's time for him to be taken up, not just taken up off the ground and, and crucified, but taken up back to glory. The days drew near for Jesus to be taken up. And so he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he, that is Jesus, turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So obviously, because Jesus rebukes them, he he shuns their plan. Obviously, their call to, or their desire to call down lightning and destroy those people, that was the wrong approach. That was the wrong approach. Jesus doesn't allow it and he shows them a better way. Instead of destroying them with fire, he says, let's, let's kindly move on to another place. Let's, let's take up residency somewhere else. Let's spend the night somewhere else. But what was it that, that James was thinking? What was it that, that these sons of thunder were thinking here? Could we find a way where we could at least say, well, maybe it's even though it was the wrong execution, even though they had the wrong plan, maybe at least we can say their hearts were in the right place. Because listen to this, here's what's happening. Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem and be treated shamefully, be executed, be spit on, be lied about. From what they can tell, from the way they can see things, the plan of God is about to be destroyed. Destroyed. They don't know all the things. We're going to talk more about this in just a moment. They don't know all the ins and outs. They don't see perfectly the will and the plan of God yet. They know that they love Jesus. They know that they have attached themselves to Jesus as the one that they're going to follow and follow and follow, even if it means their own death. And so they love Jesus to such a degree that when they hear someone talk bad about him, when they see someone slight him, it makes them angry. All too often, I think you and I don't get emotional enough when it comes to the name, the honor, the mission, the plan of Jesus. How many of us can be around, maybe not even just be around, but how many of us can be around the name of Jesus being used as a surprise? How many of us can be around the name of Jesus being used? as a moment of anger, as a moment of reprimand. I can just see the sons of thunder. I can hear them. And someone using the name of Jesus in a flippant, casual, unholy, irreverent way, we're about to call fire down on you. That's my Jesus. That's my Lord. That's the one that loves me and that I love. That's the one I've given my life to follow. You're not going to talk about him that way. I'm not going to use his name like that. No. Put a stop to it. These are the same ones that when they heard that someone wasn't going to allow the precious Jesus to to pillow his head and rest one night. You're not going to give Jesus solace. You're not going to give Jesus a room. You're not going to give Jesus kindness. Well, then we're going to hurt you. That's the wrong extreme to go to. But it comes from a place of, of deeply loving Jesus. Too many of us are too casual. Too many of us are are too flippant. We need to be the kind of people who can be more like the sons of thunder. And when the name of Jesus is besmirched, it bothers us. When the plan of Jesus is being, you know, a monkey wrench is being thrown into it, it bothers us. Jesus had a mission, and James wanted to help. Jesus was worthy of honor, and James wanted to make sure Jesus was revered. Now, Jesus rebuked them. Their response to want to destroy people with fire was the wrong response. But the emotional reaction of being upset with someone selling Jesus short, their emotional reaction to someone wanting to push Jesus away was the right one. I wonder how we react when Jesus is dismissed around us. How do we act when Jesus is silenced around us? Are we the sons of thunder? Or are we the sons of a light fog that just sort of lifts and goes away? Jesus said to these men, That's not the response. Let's just go somewhere else and we'll continue our mission. I want you to go another place with me, another time where we see uh, that it's likely that this is a reason why he was called the sons of thunder, he and James' brother John. Go to Mark 10. Mark 10. We could go to Matthew 20, but I want you to look at Mark 10. This is the one we're going to read from. In both Mark 10 and Matthew 20, this the same account is recorded. This is what is said in Mark 10, verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, come up to Jesus and they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want you to give us this big old favor. We're not going to say what it is yet, but we want you to go ahead and go ahead and say yes. And then whatever we ask you, you're going to, you're going to say yes to it. Well, What's the request? Here's verse 37. The sons of thunder said to Jesus, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Matthew chapter 20 tells us that they actually took their mom along with them. And that the mother of the sons of thunder made this request of Jesus. Let my boys, one sit on your right, one sit on your left, when you're in your power, in your kingdom, when you're the king reigning over the world, let them sit at your power sides, left and right. So maybe there's another reason why they were called the sons of thunder. Maybe they had a a mother who was powerful, a mother who was willing to mix it up a little bit. But whatever it was, they, the chip didn't fall too far from the block. And they were willing to do things that made other people uncomfortable. Now they don't understand about the kingdom. Here's something you and I have got to understand. They don't understand about the kingdom yet. They think that what the Messiah is going to do is he's going to come charging in on a white horse and he's going to push the Roman armies out. He's going to kick the emperor out of the location there in Jerusalem. He's going to kick the Roman governor like Pilate and others who would be in those places. Get rid of them. Knock them off the temple mount and restore things back to the way they used to be. To where the power that King David had, that David's son Solomon had. Remember when Solomon was king? And reigning over that united kingdom there, people came from all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom, but also to see the things Solomon had built. When Solomon ruled, that was a kingdom to behold. It was talked about around the world. And so what the people are expecting here in the first century When they think of the Messiah coming in, they're thinking of someone who's going to restore the kingdom of David. They think there's going to be someone else who's powerful and scary and rich and is going to get all the bad guys pushed away and establish a kingdom there in Jerusalem again. And so because that's the way they think it's going to work, they said, let one of us sit on your left and one of us sit on your right. Let us be in positions of power. We'll rule with you. You'll be the one in charge, and we'll, we'll do those things. You know, do your dirty work, whatever it might be. We'll send out decrees. Let us be in those positions of power. The sons of thunder made that request. Well, how do you think the rest of the disciples liked that? Look in, in Mark 10, verse 41. Mark 10, 41, when the ten heard of it, so the other ten apostles, when they heard of the request that they were making to sit at the right hand and the left, when word trickled down that, that Mrs. Zebedee had been there, it says they were indignant they didn't like it at all and they let james and john know it that this wasn't okay well so what jesus does is he uses this opportunity to teach them about humility he uses this opportunity to teach not just james and john not just the sons of thunder but jesus uses this time to teach the whole group about humility and being servants He teaches them about the the beauty and the power of service. Read these lines. Because it said in verse 41 that the other apostles were indignant in James and John. So verse 42 says this. He recognizes the the seed of discord that's being sown amongst the 12. He recognizes the problem that could be created here if this isn't put a stop to. And so verse 42, Jesus calls to them and he says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. See, the followers of Jesus are to be different. The followers of Jesus aren't to run everyday life. They aren't to run their businesses the way everyone else runs their business. The followers of Jesus are first and foremost, above all other things, followers of Jesus. And then everything else works itself out from that. Students are, first of all, followers of Jesus, and then you act like a follower of Jesus as a student. CEOs, factory workers, whatever it might be, you are first a disciple of Christ, and all the other things you do fit that. And so he says this. There's a way that the world works. There's a way the world operates. They lord think, they seek power, they try to push others down. But it shall not be so among you. That's not the way it is among my family. It's not the way it is among my disciples. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is the description he gave to the group. But I want to go back and read for just a moment what he said to James and John specifically. Because you go back here and they said, grant us to sit one on your right hand, one on your left in verse 37. Give us the positions of power, Jesus. When you're there restoring the glory of King David, you're there restoring the glory of King Solomon. When you're finally sitting on that throne in a way that will never be destroyed or, or toppled, put us in positions of power. Verse 38, this is the way Jesus answered. You don't know what you're asking. Remember I told you they didn't understand the kingdom. They thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom established right then, right there, kicking everyone else out. You don't know what you're asking me. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with, with which I'm baptized? Are you able to endure the things I'm going to endure? Are you able to go through the things I'm going to face? In verse 39, just like the sons of thunder would do, they said, we are able. Yes, we can drink whatever cup you put in front of us. And what that means is this, it's not talking about a literal cup. It doesn't mean some strange concoction. When he says, can you drink this cup? He means, can you handle the wrath that's coming? Can you handle the pain and the punishment that's coming? Can you handle the ordeal that's coming by being a part of this group? And they said, yes. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. That's not good news for them. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, with I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it's been prepared. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. They make this wild request. Forget everyone else, Jesus. Give us special treatment. Let us sit at your right hand and left in your new kingdom, when you're the king. And he says, do you really want that? Do you really want that to be granted to you? Because I don't think you know what it means. First of all, it's not going to be a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And second of all, it means if you're standing with me, you're going to go through what I go through. And if I remember, Jesus had told them, they're going to hate me, and so they're going to hate you. They're not going to listen to me, they're not going to listen to you. And that means if I drink this cup, if I because remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me. Jesus wasn't holding a literal cup in his hand. Jesus didn't hold up a cup to the father and say, let this cup, I don't want to drink this. He was saying, let this ordeal, let this pain, let this wrath that's about to come upon me, let that pass. And the answer was, no, you have to drink it. And so he says to them, can you deal with this? Can you accept this? And they said, sure, bring it on. But they didn't know what he was asking. Well, here it is. Let me show you James drinking the cup. Go to Acts 12 we have this record here it's brief it's essentially just one little line but what it is here in acts 12 luke tells us about james drinking the cup let me sit in a place of power lord ah you don't want that it means wrath can you handle it i can handle it i'll do anything well here it is acts 12 verse 1 About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James drank the cup. And when Herod, this is the the grandchild of, of Herod the Great, the one who was in charge when Jesus was born. This one says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he saw it pleased the Jews that he killed this apostle. He proceeded to arrest Peter also, and his plan was to do the same to Peter. Now, we don't know much about James, do we? We know he was one of the twelve. We know he was a fisherman. We know he was the brother of John. We know he was part of the inner circle. We know he made this request to be given a place of power. We know he was the son of thunder because he was going to call down fire and destroy people. But between that time and this time here in Acts 12, here's something I want you to let sink into your, into your mind. Let it sink down into your heart and it will be dismissed after this. We don't know a whole lot about James, but we do know this. When Herod decided that he was going to stop the church, when Herod decided that he was going to silence the church, when Herod decided that he was going to try and cripple the church, the first person he killed was James. Now, that says a lot to me. I want to stop this movement. I want to stop these people who are causing such trouble. I want to put an end to those who are making such a mess of things. I'll start with James. Put an end to him, you make a big dent in things. He kills James and the people celebrate, and enemies of Jesus celebrate. That speaks volumes. So here's the question I want to end with tonight as we think about James. If the powers that be, thankfully, we live in a place right now that we're allowed to be here freely and happily. But if it should come to the point that the powers that be decide to stop the church, if the powers that be decide to finally silence the church, would they be looking for you to silence you? James was the one they started with because he was such a troublemaker. This son of thunder had to be silenced if I'm going to cripple the church. Would the powers that be come for you? Would they come knocking on your door to silence you because you've been turning the world upside down? We don't know much about James, but what little we know is impressive. I wonder what is known about us. It's my prayer that not only would we be like Andrew and be bringers of people to Jesus, but we'll be like James. Those that are sons of thunder, anxious to defend the name of Jesus. And when people are seeking to do something about the church, they're knowing we're the ones who are to be looked to. You want to silence the church? You got to start with me. May it be the case that we're all bold enough to keep standing for Jesus. May it be the case we're all bold enough to keep being sons and daughters of thunder Because we love Jesus so much, we can't imagine His plans being destroyed or His name being besmirched. If there's any way that we can encourage you or help you on this night, if it means praying with you, praying for you, if it means helping you to be immersed into Christ, be forgiven of sin, if there's any way that we can help you, won't you come while we stand?